3: That's the second time he's gone on. never got home, they never got home, they never got, got home, those, those
1: guys. And I said, I want to win the league, but I want to win it better. You can understand that, can't you?
4: Yes. Good luck.
2: So he's almost like having a second captain in the team. <laughs> second captain, first captain, whatever.
0: Hello there, you're very welcome to Monday's Irish Times Second Captain's Podcast, presented by. Oh my David, Kieran Murphy. Hello there, on And Ken Erdie. Hi, Ken.
2: Hi, how are you?
0: I'm good Otto guys. Otto oh. <laughs> <laughs> The long eared bat found in Israel's Negev Desert, of course, featured oh. on planet Earth 2 last night. Yeah. An animal faced Ken with seemingly insurmountable odds in oh. his hunt for prey. And you know, as I watch this tiny little fella weighing in at barely half an ounce, blindly taking on the death stalker scorpion,
5: ooh,
0: I couldn't help thinking of little Joey Carberry and tiny little Kieran Marmion and the rest of our pint-sized Irish heroes from Saturday Night bringing down the fearsome Maltese. Obviously, the bat would fancy his chances with just about anyone in an aerial game, mm-hmm. but when conditions call for it, you do have to go foraging on the desert floor, much like say Josh Vanderfier foraging for possession of the ground. <laughs> as you know, Ken, the scorpion's venom. Yes. Australian backline moves is potent enough to kill a human being. Mm. And this particular scorpion lands a number of headshots on the bat. Yeah. Tries by Hale Petty, Kudrani, and Nehavaru. At this point, poor old Otto Nictarus looks like a goner.
2: I mean, I don't know if you saw this. I did.
0: Looks almost like an international rugby team with a raft of injuries. Mm. Yeah. Struggling on. But from somewhere deep within, he finds the physical and mental courage to rally, come back, and crush his opponent. Yes, I'm aware he needs to catch another three scorpions before sunrise in order to sate his appetite. But I assume those kills will come in the form of England, France, and Wales in the 2017 Six Nations.
2: <laughs> yeah, I, I I wondered watching that if why this thing hadn't worked out how to eat something less obnoxious than a scorpion that would repeatedly sting it in the face every time it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that scorpion was pretty obnoxious. Isn't so it? But, well, no, but they explained that. Um, yet, you, Ken, Scotland, awful.
5: Scotland take part in the Six Nations <laughs> every year, you know.
0: So uh, usually yeah, the uh, usually our friend the long-eared bat takes uh would ideally be going after little airborne insects that fly along in the wind there but they just there aren't enough of them around there's not enough He's life in the end. desert so you got to uh, get down okay. you got to get down and dirty yeah and the scorpion of course can fi- can sense when they're both blind essentially because it's pitch black the scorpion though can sense the vibrations and, yeah sense the vibrations no such joy for the bat. the bat just has to rely on
2: echolocation its...
0: yeah kind of bumping into the scorpion and then it's on
2: <laughs> yeah, I suppose once he gets the scorpion into his mouth, then it's over. That's a That's the, that is the crucial thing that makes the difference. The bat can fit most of the scorpion into its mouth. So, uh, crunch, oh. crunch. Only one
0: of our listeners, whose name escapes me now, v- voted for that, Murph. Uh, mm. Well, So you didn't have that as,
5: as one of your options on, on your Twitter poll last night? Yeah, so uh, on Twitter last night, I did offer four options as to what Planet Earth 2 analogy that you would bring tomorrow. crowbar the, in there, yeah. Yeah. Line Giraffe Showdown got 27% of the vote. Plague of Locusts was the winner with 34% of the vote. Uh, the climate change bit at the end, the preachy bit that Attenborough always throws in. I hate the preachy bit. Uh, Who se- needs that? 7%. Uh, got the, it was treated with the disdain that it was <laughs> Yeah, well done, everybody. It's a bloody TV show, Attenborough. Yeah. You know, we don't want to... <laughs> no, do bring Captain Bring, her bring her or somewhere else. Yeah. And uh, the little blind mole fella Oh, he was cool. Yeah, he, was he was second. Was, he was, he was the golden mole. Right. Yeah.
0: John Carroll is the name of uh, my Twitter follower who got yeah. that right. So, well done to you. John. I actually saw a scorpion being killed in real life, of course. Yeah. Uh, how was that happen? Uh, on holidays in Argentina. Right. I was up in the uh, Guazu Falls area, northern Argentina, jungle, jungle mm, land, rain, enough. Uh, rainforest. Yeah. No, not, not, not a home of scorpions generally, mm. which is why I was somewhat shocked when I was awoken to the sound of my wife. And some distress. Yeah. Um, she was already up and she was being cornered in the bathroom by a, a scorpion with its tail kind of. Per- Threateningly p- poised. Threateningly poised, yeah. It was, uh, it was a scary moment. I'm, I can laugh about it now.
2: I, I did think Sorry. we were both but, dead. Uh, but I'm interested in the fact that you said you saw a scorpion being killed. Killed, yeah. How did that. It doesn't sound as though you, you did the killing. The story there. Of course not. So I who coaxed so my wife out of the uh,
0: out of that room? Did you call for a man? I called, We called for a man. We went. <laughs> Would, would, you have, would you have taken on the scorpion? Hell no. <laughs> <laughs> Went to hotel reception, said there's a scorpion in my room. They're like, no, 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 not a chance. Then yeah. they came around. Your man squished it.
2: Yeah. The, with the with his on. foot. Yeah. yeah just, I was, thought so, just yeah. brutal Brutal end. What size was this scorpion on? Five centimeters? Six centimeters? Bigger. Eight centimeters?
5: Mm. Ten centimeters if he was, this, if was this, a centimeter. Are
2: you telling me it how, was how, lobster ven- size? How
0: venomous was its venomous stinger? That's what I want to
2: Probably know. Probably like similar to a bee or a wasp, I'd say.
0: Yeah, pretty scary. You're right. And uh, yeah, yeah. Oh, it, the, I, I must also stress that the uh, hotel owner was very quick to deny that this was a scorpion. Mm. I think there might have been some legal issues if there was a scorpion <laughs> attack in the in the room. <laughs> it's
5: the, just a, it's just a breed of swallow. That that's honestly it was there. like you no, know,
0: it's similar to a scorpion, but not a scorpion, is what I was told as he was
2: crushing it to its untimely death. To it to an unrecognizable mangled uh, pancake. Simon,
0: I've got a big announcement to make. Give me a suitable sound effect, please.
2: Oh. That's the one.
0: That is the one. This one goes out to all you North American scum out there. In preparation for the arrival in Dublin next weekend of American US, get it right. We can announce that from now and for the rest of this week, the Second Captain Sports Annual Volume Two is available. This is very big. We're your bell as well, mm. free of postage and packaging to anywhere in the USA and Canada. That's free postage packaging anywhere in the USA and Canada for the rest of this week. Anywhere can think of any any old American town
2: there and. It's going free to that place. Um, Suck Egg Hollow, Tennessee. Suck Egg Hollow, yep, yeah. yeah, free postage. Uh, Toad Suck, Arkansas.
0: No, that's actually the one place that's. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, if you're in Toad the, Suck, Toad I'm sorry, name. no, it's just Top an dollar. Yeah.
2: Stinking Point, Virginia. No problem. <laughs> <laughs> no problem at all. Belchertown, Massachusetts. <laughs> I see you've gone for a certain theme with these, a lot of these. Yeah. Um, just anything foul smelling and rancid. There's a lot of interestingly named places in the magazine. New York, New York, free, free, free. We'll go there as well, and then in, and indeed Canada as well. That fast, uh, sweeping, um, gloomy, freezing prairie land.
0: <laughs> this offer will last until five p.m. on Friday, December second. It's free postage to the U.S. and Canada, on top of the free postage to within Ireland and the U.K. The Gang's All Here show with U.S. Murph is on this coming Sunday, December fourth, with thanks to Aer Lingus and Original Penguin Clothing, and will be available. To podcast. We're going to talk to Andy Lee about Katie Taylor's debut on Saturday. She very much looked the part in taking out Karina Kopinska. There was never going to be any doubt about the result, realistically, but I think she was quite impressive in how comfortable she looked in the spotlight. Uh, a lot of people were remarking on how much she seemed to enjoy it and seemed to be energized by it. So we'll do that a little later on with Andy in studio, but first.
1: As Conor Murray has it now, moves it back, has gone to Peter Almanni. Peter Almanni batters some fellow out of the way. Carries it now to within seven yards of the Australian line. Keane Healy uh, carries it for Ireland now towards the uh, five-meter line again, in towards tight Farrow. Tyke Furra will open the line, doing untold damage. Back with Conor Murray. Murray moves it back. Chance here now. As uh, Ireland have it now within five yards of the Australian line, straight in front of the post. Conor Murray moves it to Zivo. Pop it on.
2: 15 minutes to in With
0: Michael Corcoran there capturing the excitement of our winning try he's on ve- Orti
6: Radio 1 He's a very
5: good commentator Michael Corcoran, yeah he Yeah, is, it yeah. always sounds like he's coming from 1985 which, and I mean that in the best possible sense I, well, I You can sync him up, you up to mean? your
6: TV, by the way uh, I, I often do that Yeah, put the radio on and then just pause on your UPC or Sky and away uh, you go
0: Why did you much me? he comes from
5: 1985? Well, no, I mean it's the, the, the heyday of listening to sport on the radio Oh yeah, it yeah. has got that evocative... Yeah, evocative yeah, there's something answer. very evocative about it, I like it.
0: What did you make of it, Simon, the performance, the victory?
6: I was really, really surprised that we won it. Uh, you, when you're in the stadium, you know, sort of 15, 20 minutes into a game, you kind of get a sense of what way the game is going to go. And I know Ireland were in the lead, but it, you just sort of feel it was quite flat. Ireland were quite error-ridden. Australia had yet to really do anything to finish any of their chances. So then when Australia did start scoring those tries and went ahead... Ireland just looked gone at that stage. Obviously, all the injuries that's been written about a lot. But then for us to come up with a try that the type of try that we normally don't score, you know, we went through a number of phases. Um it was off the cuff, it was creative, it was brilliantly finished. Everything about it sort of surprised me in terms of the atmosphere being really crap at the start. Uh it was like uh Roman times, as we tweeted during the game, by the end of it. And I think of all of all the big wins under Joe Schmidt for Ireland this was the one that least involved Joe Schmidt's structures and plans, because every, essentially, by necessity, everything went out the window, and the players just had to rely on their own instincts. Now, there was still, you know, a lot of uh, Joe Schmidt imprint on it and it was reliant on his coaching, but of all those wins, I think it was the one that was most down to just the players gutting up and and using their heads during the game and fighting back into it. There was a point
0: in the second half, I can't remember the scoreline at the time, but we were struggling a little bit, and CJ Stander was given a ball and driven backwards about five yards, which can only happen if we are in a bit of a muddle because every other time Sander got the ball in the first half and just in general when he plays for Munster in Ireland you, you see what he does it was in, as indicative of, of anything as anything else I thought of how disorganised we were just by the fact that people didn't particularly know their positions that you, you know Sander somehow was getting a ball on the back foot essentially and getting and he back. did
6: amazingly well just to hold just on to hold possession on to it, so yeah. just stay on his feet but it was even more obvious in defence just how lacking in structure we were and how the, the combinations were all over the place yeah
0: but we managed to uh, manage to Get
6: a Typified by Marmine, I think, on the wing, the whole yeah. performance. There was better players way. on the day, but my God, the amount of tackles you had to make. And, you know, it's like, it's like your nightmare, you know, where you're asked to do the thing that isn't your job. Wake
5: up uh, having to do the leaving cert. Did that yeah. tackle but actually? <laughs> yeah, exactly, it's, yeah. It is kind of that video. Yeah. Well, I'm sure I'll be fine as long as, you know, obviously... You know, three members of the backline don't get injured and I end up playing on the wing. I mean, that's well, that's of course, that's that's what that's actually that happen, everyone
0: though. keeps talking about, though. Did that actually force the forward pass? Was the pass not made before he actually made the hit?
6: The he, but well, he stopped a couple of tries, or he was certainly influential in pressuring quite yeah, a yeah, few Yes, there, the there, there was one that was
0: disallowed for a forward pass, yes, for that, that it, was brought back his big hit, uh, which. I don't know. It's, uh, why am I raining on Kieran Marmion's parade here anyway? Let's get, <laughs> let's get into the positives here. Shane is ready to go and Jerry Thornley is in studio. Jerry, thanks very much for making it in. No, pleasure. Simon has been making the point that the, we've praised Joe Schmidt enough, both as a country, as a sporting media and even on this podcast. And Saturday was a win for the players, first and foremost. What do you think?
4: Well, they certainly showed tremendous character and tremendous belief in each other and themselves um, to win that last quarter 7-0 with such a makeshift backline. I think the backline that started the second half had only three players in the same positions they began the match. Um, Keith Earls played in a couple of positions. Simon zebo played in a couple of positions. Then you have uh, Joey Carby at fullback and an even more makeshift right-winger and Kieran Marmion. And to come back and win the game 7-0 I thought, in that last quarter was mm-hmm. extraordinary. I think, though, they have to have belief also in the systems that are in place and they're very much put in place by a, a superb coaching staff. So I'd say it'd be a victory for all of them.
0: Our, uh, our reaction, the team's reaction to going four points down conceding the tr- the last try that they conceded and then the penalty on the hour that put them four points down you know at that stage things were looking bleak but almost immediately uh, Zeebo put in a big hit
4: huge moment massive, Match.
0: massive hit and that forced them into a dodgy enough kick for a line out in, in a good position and from there uh, we went on and didn't even give them the ball back before scoring our own try. Mm-hmm. And it kind of felt like we had to do something like that because yes. you, we, we weren't going to be able to just soak it up for another 20, five minutes, let alone 20 minutes. So to to turn it around like that was a serious... It's been a team of the genius, month. They've
4: yeah. been, the way they went back at, in Chicago, went, kept on attacking, kept on trying to make scores, make it happen in the second half rather than just defend the lead against the All Blacks, the way they kept coming back at the All Blacks a week previously. And again, against Australia. I think... Um, you have to give credit for Zeebo for that monster hit. It got the crowd and it got the team into the game. At a point in the game when everything had fallen a little bit flat.
0: It had actually been flat from kickoff. It was yeah. quite a flat atmosphere. I think maybe people had gotten so up for the New Zealand game that yeah.
4: they, they, it took a while to get going. But from, for the last 20 minutes, it was pretty wild. Oh, it was wild. It was wondrous. And then I think you also have to give huge credit to the bench and the impact they made. Peter Mahoney made some huge carries in that multi-phase attack, the culmination yeah. the try. Um, I think the key to the win probably was the way they completely negated, almost completely negated David Pocock and Michael Hooper at the breakdown. I didn't think anybody, I didn't think that was possible, but I went through the match again yesterday, and the amount of times people they they got over the ball, the two of them, and only once did Pocock win a poach a turnover a penalty, um, when they didn't quite clear him out. But if you look at the build up to the final try, um, he get after one of the Omani carries, it's such a good carry that it, for a second he almost gets isolated, and Pocock gets right over the ball, and Keen Healy comes in and makes a one man clear out. That's just. Beyond believe it
6: was millisecond stuff, yes, as in another second, and the ref was giving it absolutely a it was to almost a key
4: moment in the try, and then they once after that they kept getting quick from ball They're, I thought you know Healy O'Mahony Alton Delan uh, all made huge impacts off the bench in that quarter in the, at the start of that last quarter, and then Zebo gives the try scoring pass, and he had a big hand in the first mm. try as well, and I just think you know zebo had another fantastic game he 's had a really good month, and I just think that. You know, it's time we started cutting this boy some slack because when he's on the pitch Ireland have a little bit more of an X factor I really
6: felt there was a change in tempo when he came on he tried to obviously immediately with a little chip kick to Earls but just in general he was trying things look dangerous look creative
4: he's got a very creative inventive mind and he's also got the skills to back it up be it his passing game be it his running game be it his offloading or be it his kicking I mean it was his kick in behind, that led to Conor Murray hounding survey and touch, which led to the Robbie Henshaw try, which sealed the win in Chicago. It was his kick in behind Israel Dagg that might have led to a try. Rob Carney offloaded to Donika Ryan. And it was that, if you look at the way he played that grubber, he bangs it into the ground, so it is meant to bounce wickedly in behind. And Keith Earls does fabulously. You're going to have to revise your opinion about Keith, Keith Earls now. That's twice in this window. He's used brilliant footwork and offloaded for a try. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs>
6: no, he connected brilliantly. And he made it look really simple. I think... You know, there's times where Irish players make those kinds of passes look difficult. He made it look easy. And Ian Henderson, you know, you kind of the second the ball hit him, you go, "That's the guy I want running yes. through here." Your fourth back energy, row in the second row. Pace. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah exactly. Your fourth
4: back row in the second row. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Completely. But I go back to the point as well. I think there was a big carry in by um, CJ Standard he went through Wilgenia in the build-up to the last phase before that it was the third phase off a line-out and again Pocock or Hooper was over the ball and was brilliantly cleared out I think by Furlon and Toner and it was just everybody's willingness to clear out again that is very much a trademark of a Joe Smith side I think they recycled 101 of 103 rocks something like that something phenomenal like that
0: Shane in ways was the last 20 minutes on Saturday as impressive as anything that they produced against New Zealand for the previous couple of weeks?
1: Yeah, I think it was. I didn't see them coming back into that game. There's a couple of times um, over the last number of weeks where I've been doubting this team, I doubt the resolve uh, faced against um, you know the the world champions in New Zealand and a quality side in Australia. And both times, midway through second half, when it, when we thought the narrative was going to go as maybe historically it has in the past, they found a, a resolve to change things. And um, although. It was a different type of rugby that they were playing um, to to enable them to come back in that game against uh, Australia. Uh, they found the correct way to do it. Uh, whatever about the first half, I Australia were very poor in the first half, but we were brilliant with, with regard to retention of the ball and uh, our territorial game. Um, you know, we weren't quite on it. Um, we didn't quite get as many points as we probably should have at halftime, but. That brought, uh, allowed Australia to come back into it. I thought they were always going to do that. But once they got to that position ahead, I didn't think there was a way back for Ireland. I, I thought the atmosphere in the ground was really subdued right through the whole game, aside from the last 10 minutes. And then Rory Best gave a you know, really nice interview after the game um, talking about the, how thankful he was for the crowd. What well, I thought it was the other way around. Uh, I know that relationship is, is symbiotic, but it was certainly the players to change the atmosphere in the game, and then it was the crowd that came in behind it. Would you be critical?
0: Would you be critical of the fans for not getting stuck in from the start?
1: Now, listen, you know, fans, you know, react when uh, react as the team plays, and it is, you know, sometimes one hit one brings the other one on. This time around, it was uh, it was certainly the players. You know, I don't think. Being critical of the fans is <laughs> it's not really... What does that do? You know, if the players are, are getting to the um, to the pitch, if they're playing as well as they can, then generally the um, the fans come in behind it. But that was certainly the case. And I, I did think it was subdued right through the game until that last 10, um, 15 minutes.
6: Shane, how did you rate that Earl's try? It really, really surprised me, given the run of play, given Australia dominated things, given how the lack of structure in the Irish backline and throughout the team at that stage, and how well people connected... And then also, it's just so rare, I think, for Ireland to finish those sorts of tries. Well, you've said before, and in recent weeks, that the one criticism you'd have of Joe Schmidt is that the team lack a little bit of invention close to the opposition line. Zebo made that pass to Earls look really simple, and in some ways it was, but it's one thing I think Irish players are quite bad at, is finishing a three-on-two overlap or two-on-one overlap. It was a beautifully timed pass. It was a simple pass. And he he knew before he got the ball what he was going to do. It's the kind of thing Australia and New Zealand are actually really good at. Well, Australia, besides the weekend, they weren't particularly good at those. But normally, they're the kind of chances they finish every time. And sides like Ireland and Wales don't necessarily finish them.
1: Yeah, it looked like a simple pass. But there was a number of things going on there. Um, I thought Zipo, excellent throughout the game. And and Ireland's most inventive player. um, Was really smart in the way he took the ball. He drifted on it and ran directly in between the um, second last and the last defender. And that forced, well, it didn't quite force um, the Australian winger in, but the winger, the Australian winger came in as a result of Haley uh, Petty. He came in and um, then it was a perfectly timed pass, but it was only because of the angle uh, of the initial run by Zeebo. And if you notice uh, Earls, you know, there's a, very often, you know, one of the few criticisms people have of Earls is they say his communication isn't good enough and he can be a bit quiet in the wing. If you look at him before that um, try, his hand is up, he's screaming at Zebo, which is, I think, this is a big movement on from Ireland. If you can get your wingers talking, it makes a big difference. And then Zebo himself was in a very, very, flat, uh, sorry, uh, Earls himself was in a very flat uh, position, making the pass easier and making sure that when the pass was made, it was certainly going to be a try. So, of course it was simple, you know. It looked as if it was easy, but it looked as if it was easy because everybody was doing their job really well. And you know, three on twos—they're they're meant to be simple, but they're not always. They're simple when people do their job correctly, and that's what happened uh, for that try.
0: The that try, if I remember correctly, came from her newfound tactic of never kicking a penalty to the posts, Jerry. This is amazing. It's you're screaming at the TV at times, going, "No, come on! Surely there are moments where three points is is plenty." But they they just back themselves and I suppose when your pack is dominant as it was yesterday or as it was on Saturday it makes sense but this has been another theme of the last few matches that they, they're quite adventurous in that way
4: It reaped its most, its most handsome dividend in Chicago with I think 21 points from going to the corner in a, you know, two directly off it and, and once through phases they converted three attacking platforms in the, in, through line outs into, into scores it didn't work against the All Blacks with their wondrous defence um, in, the the in, in the second home game and it didn't work at first against Australia I think you gotta give credit for the first poach by Dean Mum. I think the second one how Kepu gets away with bringing down the line at Maul is in front of Jerome Garces as it's, as it's moving remorselessly towards the line I do not know I thought that was actually their most blatant cynical penalty of the, of the other compared to the other eight they did concede in that first half again Ireland's discipline only 11 penalties conceded in those three games against the All Blacks in Australia
0: Discipline or favouring ref- favourable refereeing as Michael Cheka think, says
4: No I think if you look at it they, they don't loiter they don't loiter in the tackle afterwards they get to their feet they don't poach they're not meant to they release they are quite Discipline side you could probably say that Checa has a few um, reasonable grudges about the refereeing on Saturday I think that'd be a fair enough point but I think they got away with that one from Kepa and I thought they were ill-disciplined um, and they could have had further sanction and certainly they couldn't argue with Dean Mum's yellow card and that contributed to Ireland eventually going up the line and scoring so there, but I think they were right to take the three points when they did take the first three and we've also got to give credit to Paddy Jackson because five kicks out of five in a 27-24 win was pretty significant not least that last minute touch that that touchline conversion to the Keith Earls try. So I think, yeah, it shows a very positive intent from this team now since the African Tour that they're, gonna, they're a try-hunting team as opposed to a three-point-hunting mm. team. Shane, just on
6: that point of discipline in Ireland, uh, giving away far fewer penalties than the opposition against both Australia and New Zealand, would that be that Ireland are so accurate at uh, rook time and they repeatedly kind of, they observe the rules of the game and they do it cleanly and they do it efficiently so that the team, the opposition back row, eventually are forced into trying too hard. So the likes of Pocock, they're just getting frustrated, and they have to just push it that little bit more than they should.
1: Well, I think, um, yeah, to some degree. But remember, Australia's discipline wasn't too too bad. You know, what was their penalty count? I think it was thirteen. You know, the, the low, thirteen. You know, I suppose it's, just it's just more that, that we're not giving discipline. anything away. It's so good at the moment. Uh, I suppose if you're previously uh, analysis of an international game, you go. Let's get below ten penalties. Below ten penalties allows you to win a game, certainly. But like thirteen is not great, but it's it's not disastrously bad. What is amazing is the um, the amount of um, penalties that Ireland are giving away. There's a couple of things with that. We spoke, Jerry spoke about earlier about how excellent they are in the clean-out. It's really important uh, to Joe Schmidt and the Irish team to have the clean-out correct. It's a basis of almost everything else they do. You're seeing one and two players being very efficient at the breakdown and they're not giving away penalties. Um, I think the discipline that r- runs throughout the team in defence is um, there to be seen. And those two things... I think they put a little noodle in referees' heads as well. So if you're consistently looking at a team that is disciplined, that is vocal about being disciplined... That are talking to each other and talking to the referee about what they're doing right and how they're not giving away penalty, w- penalties. Then they do get the rub of the green, and we've seen this through the best teams and the leading teams in the world do get the rub of the green when it comes to penalties. You know, if, if there's a little bit of doubt, you know, the referee might let it go. And Ireland certainly got a couple of those at the weekend, but they're hard earned. You know, they seem as if they're easy. We got it. We didn't get, give away a penalty there, or we got a soft penalty. They're actually hard earned over the course. Of you know years of putting together and being that sort of a, a team and having that um, reputation and referees uh, addressing that. But
0: hold on were we not giving oh, sorry you weren't actually on the podcast Jerry so I probably should uh, be talking about th- those of us <laughs> uh, sitting around the table were we not giving out about New Zealand for some of the same reasons last week Jerry aside from the violent play the, this idea that they're refereed a certain way and that that's not fair now, yeah. uh, now Ireland we're saying that maybe Ireland are refereed quite favourably as well because yeah, they put Matt in Williams habits.
4: great stat from three years ago when they did a survey into this what was it for every 11 penalties South Africa can see they get a yellow card for every 12 penalties Australia can see they, they, have a yellow, they suffer a yellow card and what was the figure for New Zealand for every 45 penalties or 43 they get a yellow card so the, um, them, them's the facts I suppose I think yeah, but it shows it backs up Shane's point that you know, All Blacks conceded a 14-4 penalty count and two yellow cards, but still won the match. Hmm. Australia conceded a 13-3 penalty count and it, and it cost them severely. Um, and even then, uh, uh, as well as their grumbles about the referee and their interpretations of Jerome Garces, I'm sure uh, as much as anything, they look back at that video and look at the tries they butchered as well they certainly left tries behind so that was very much a winnable match for Australia and they probably will feel they should have won it given the makeshift nature of the Irish backline but their discipline did cost them particularly in that first half and to be honest they were a little bit fortunate to only be 10 points down at half time Like I think back to that penalty that that rumbling maul that Kepu brought down and there certainly could have been a bigger sanction for Australia there so arguably yellow card territory as well um, and just not getting the rewards that they're, I thought they, they really identified the narrowness of Australia's defence very cleverly as well and they used Jackson and Payne's distribution that first half was just a thing of beauty to yeah. watch it was really some lovely array of passing skills from Jarrah Payne and also I think you saw as well when you take Payne out of our defensive system there was one moment in the first half when he tracked three runners across the pitch before tackling his man and just without his leadership communication and ability to read in the outside centre channel I thought he was lost a fair bit to the defensive system too and it showed how important he is we're talking about wi- sorry go sorry, on I, th-
1: I think the wide the wide game has been interesting in both the attack and the defense for Ireland I think it's something that we've evolved and developed and linking into that idea of kicking to the corner and the ambition that we're showing and that move away from the conservatism that has maybe dogged us over uh, the previous six nations you know we're showing we're, we're seeing players without the sh- without shackles uh, that are trying to make things happen and that are passing uh, wider, getting into the wider channels earlier, off first phase in, in particular we're not quite a- executing 100% correctly yet but we're getting better and we're building and building and we're playing against better teams and we're still confident to go after those wider channels so you know, looking forward to the Six Nations, I think that po- poses a real opportunity uh, to us because the Six Nations teams aren't as used to going wide against each other and if Ireland continue on this trajectory I think that they're going to be extremely successful because you know not only are they doing it but they're doing it better than they had been trying in the last six nations but on the flip side of that i think we do struggle when teams play a wider um game against us again it's because we're not used to it in the six nations um but i do think that we have a tendency uh, to get a little bit tight around uh, the rook so our pillars and first and second defenders and maybe even our, our third defender after the pillar can sometimes become bunched and we saw when australia were executing the um, the short line with the ball out the back option um Ireland were biting down on it quite badly. And I think that is, you know, if anything has come out of, um, any negative has come out of the um, Autumn International Series, is that we need to get that defensive structure a little bit better when teams are going after some wide channels using sophisticated moves.
6: Yeah, Shane, there's the wide defence issue, but Ireland were far from perfect against Australia, which makes the result even more interesting. Look at the performance of Paddy Jackson. Uh, his slice kick just before half time that ultimately led to the Australian try. Uh, his chip kick just after half time. He had another kick half blocked block down. Connor Murray had a, a ball kicked over the um, dead ball line. We lost two lineouts in the first ten minutes to attacking lineouts near the Australian line. So we made loads and loads of errors. 21
4: I mean. missed tackles as well, Simon. And you're right, the, the kicking was quite loose. And even at the end, Conor Murray, Gary and Rainrose invited them to counter-attack you all, There was also Zebo's kick out in the full, which ultimately led to one of their tries. So as in the case last week, it was two of the three tries emanated from Ireland's kicking game.
1: Yeah, there, there was elements of brilliant play in it, but it wasn't a brilliant game, um, um, executed by Ireland. That's for certain. Right the way through it, there was many, many mistakes. Um, we did have long periods of possession the first half in territory without uh, actually getting in enough points on the board. And in the second half, there was periods that you know we didn't look great. We didn't. We gave them a lot of um, possession. Um, they seemed to be able to break us down pretty easily. Uh, on occasion, that we missed uh, a number of tackles, as Jerry said there. But for all that. We still came out with a win, and that is the most. Uh, um, you know, I think that's the most significant um, thing to come out of these these games because we no longer have to have every single one of our players uh, in prime condition and playing as well as they can at peak performance to win a game. We no longer have to have uh, make sure the opposition aren't playing, you know, are having an off day. We don't no no longer have to. Um, Hope that uh, you know we don't lose any players through injury, like those things, uh, or we don't have to play at our best. And those things occurred over this uh, series of games, and we still got the win out of it. And you know, I said it on Saturday night. Um, we're up to you know I think it's uh, two, uh, three in the world rankings now, and we've been there before. But to, to to really feel as as if we're at home up there, we needed everything to go go right for us. And actually, that's no longer the case. We don't have to execute our perfect game. We can execute, you know, a good game, and we're still finding a way to to win. Or you're getting in. You know, we're not missing a couple of our frontline players. It doesn't mean it's all over. And that's what I think. Being, you know, one of the top two, one, two, three teams in the world, and a team that can actually do something in a World Cup, that's where you need to be. And we've never been in that before. I don't think ever in our history. And it looks as if we're there at the moment. Just on the.
0: Merit or the importance of these wins, Jerry. Mm-hmm. I think people who aren't particularly into rugby And maybe watch the national team only or, or, or aren't mad rugby fans Do sometimes get a little bit confused As to why we attach so much importance to friendly matches Which is what they be called in any other mm. sport I, Is that fair? Are we getting a little bit too excited Talking about Ireland as maybe the third, second or third best team in the world Based on uh, what has been uh, a series of essentially friendly
4: matches well, it's understandable now that after a performance like that, that the Irish sporting public would have such pride in this team. You know, Joe Schmidt has often talked about the owner's responsibility of um, justifying the fantastic support they generally get. And you think of crowds like there were in Chicago and at the World Cup in Wales and even the World Cup in New Zealand five, six years ago. It's a it's, it's phenomenal level of support this team enjoys, but they've earned it and they've earned the, there is a pride in their performances now and it's understandable that we get a little bit giddy, but you're right we are getting a little bit too carried away for ourselves. I think we're still technically ranked fourth in the world at the moment but with a great chance of holding on to that top four place and maybe even getting a little bit higher and thus secure cementing a top um, top seeding for the World Cup pool draw next May um, I think it's been a wondrous month I think the forward play you think about the forward play the line outs of the scrums again at the weekend the mall how potent that's been um, the options the strength and depth off the bench you lose Sean O'Brien you've got a kid like Josh van der Fleer mm-hmm. Tyke Furlan Gary Ringrose and then the eight new caps against Canada. So definitely the strength and depth is is much better than it was a year ago. They're in a better place. But I would say that I think what this overall thing is not getting too caught up just in Ireland. If you look across the whole November window, it kind of confirmed that New Zealand are a level ahead of the rest in the rugby championship. Because since the World Cup, South Africa especially, Argentina as well, and while Australia are now regrouping certainly, all went backwards. And so that, that contributed to winning that championship by a street. If you look at the results in this autumn window, there's been 14 head-to-heads between the Rugby Championship and the Six Nations teams, and the Six Nations teams have won eight of the 14, which is quite remarkable. I don't remember that happened before. Two years ago, it was the other way round; it was six wins, eight defeats. And of course, the World Cup a year ago, I think, was seven defeats out of seven when they did the, when the Rugby Championship team did a clean sweep in the quarterfinals. So there's been a general little bit of a revival in all the Northern Hemisphere teams. England are on a run of what is it, 13 wins in a row, having beaten Argentina effectively with 14 men. The Scots, who are Ireland's first opponents, should have beaten Australia and have beaten Argentina. They're on an upward curve. Everybody says that Wales are in a low ebb, but they've just won three matches in a row against Argentina, Japan and South Africa. They always have an iffy one against the likes of Tonga, Japan, Fiji. That's just the way they do their November windows. But they've come through. You have to say, I watched the two French games. didn't see the Samoa match, but I watched the two French games against Australia and New Zealand. And they could easily have won both. Quinoa you know, seems to be building something there whether that comes to fruition in the Six Nations with all the demands of their club game I don't know and even Italy bizarrely losing to Tonga mm-hmm. last week but they beat South Africa week before and clearly Conor O'Shea is doing something there so I think while we're getting giddy, there's a danger we could get carried away. I've heard people already saying, oh, Grand Slam shootout with England in the last game where they come looking for the world, world record oh, and yeah, last well, w- wins. That would be the exciting... Yeah, uh, there's four, there's four minor down. hurdles to go before then. <laughs> Three of them away.
6: <laughs> <laughs> Wouldn't that be a good thing for Ireland, Shane, if the whole European standard is raised so that every time you're playing the Six Nations, you're improving yourself as opposed to false preparation for facing the Southern Hemisphere teams in the World Cup?
1: Yeah, you'd almost like this to be a couple of years on, further closer to a World Cup, um, but that's that's not the case. What's interest, what interests well interests me is in how this Six Nations will pan out. Because, as Jerry rightly uh, suggests, there um, there's it, it's going to be a very competitive one, and it's far from um, an Ireland England guaranteed shootout for a Grand Slam at the end of um, the Six Nations this year. Um, I think we've seen how we must play. To compete against the um, Southern Hemisphere teams and how we can beat them, and but the nature of the Six Nations competition is one that has consistently been more conservative, that has been a bit edgier, and it is competition. So it is no matter how we like to address this autumn international series, they're still you know one-off friendly. I know they're test games, but there's not a cup at the end of it, and they're still not the um, Anxiousness that comes with playing the Six Nations from the first window, you go, Well, if we don't win this game, yeah. you know, our season in effect is can be over because you know, our grand slam is gone straight away and you know, potentially your championship is gone straight away. So, you're you, there's a it's high, very, very high stress, high, um, high pressure game games from the first uh, weekend of the Six Nations. So, I'm just really interested in how we transition. You know, do we transition? Um, into the Six Nations with the same sort of not just game plan because I think our game plan doesn't change that often under Joe as I'm you know I'm sure you guys are sick of me saying but how it's executed and will we see the same um, bravery when it comes to the you know decision making especially around even kicking to the corner because what we have now is a very strong pack and you know we need to stop underestimating ourselves we always you know we we build up the French pack, we build up the English pack. You know, We've got a pack of you know, really impressive, super strong guys. Look at our back row, look at our second row, how effective it was um, in this uh, in this series. But also, we've never been in such a good position in the front row. We've got players that can, our scrum has been very strong, but also we've got players who can now carry, more importantly we've got players who can play rugby in that front row which is, which is we've never been in a good position. So if we continue on, if we can transition this sort of play and get a little bit better into the Six Nations, I think you know it's a really exciting time, not just from this individual Six Nations, but going forward and looking forward to the World Cup.
0: Absolutely. That's brilliant stuff as always. Cheers. Cheers. Thank That's you. Brilliant.
1: Thanks, Shane. Thanks, guys. Remember,
4: New Zealand to Ryan getting for the try on the near side of the pitch. Oh, yeah! I can't
3: believe it. Ryan Clotty scores! Oh!
2: They've
6: managed it. It's 22 each. Have you got a chance? No. Uh, no. I, no, uh, I genuinely would be happy with a 20-point differential. What? I think, I think that would be a success, yeah.
0: Losing by 20 points would be a success? Yeah. Come
5: on. Losing by 20 points would be a success? Yeah.
2: Come on.
4: Six minutes to play. Now Mario away to Carberry. Still running with the ball. Zebo in a bit of space. And there's plenty of room too. All Blacks flying back in defense. Off it goes to and Sabir. He can't go anywhere. Five minute scrum. Oh, what a play from Ireland. This is it really. This is it for Ireland. They can put
1: this, in, this one out of reach. I don't expect, I do not
2: expect them, unless they are demanded to by
4: the referee to release this ball from the scrum. Less than five minutes. Well, he picks it up quickly and off he goes. Drops it off the Henshaw! Robbie Henshaw scores it! They did it!
2: He bends it down and oh my goodness, I think here I it, this could be a squirrell.
4: Handy conversion for Joey Carvery to make his contribution on debut. All Blacks charge. Up go the flags in the making and they are really good for an island they deserve this and what a night it's going
3: to be what a triumph it is for Joe Smith Kiwi boy who's engineered some real history into the grandstand it goes Ireland
4: beat the All Blacks for the first time
0: got an email here from Damien Britton lads after watching Ireland's Russell Crowe like performance on Saturday I'm never wondering, is this Ireland team way more injury prone than any other team in World Rugby? Since the France game at the World Cup last year, we seemed to have huge body counts of walking and not able to walk, wounded after every game. Can you ask your experts, is there something about the way Ireland tackle compared to everyone else that makes us more susceptible to injuries? Like Wenger and Arsenal, I can't believe it's just bad luck as it's been going on for too long now. With regards to Damien, I P.S., I got my second captain's annual here today in Doha. It looks amazing, can't wait to read it. Well, thank you very much for that. It does seem like a theme now. My last few emails that I've read out have had a compliment about the book at the end of it, but it's just pure coincidence. <laughs> our experts, unfortunately, <laughs> Damien, have left the room, so we'll just blindly um, throw some theories out there. Does any have a theory as to why I... Which, our which Russell
2: Crowe movie does he mean?
5: Gladiator, I presume.
2: Oh, okay, right. Uh, Not a beautiful I, I,
0: mind, or... I yeah, don't think
5: I presume that. it's our, our tiny, pathetic uh, DNA. You know, as a nation, we're just so pint-sized uh, that... You know, we're we're asking our bodies to do something that is just not genetically possible. There's one this particular strain of humanity. It It did strike
6: me at one point in the second half when maybe our sixth player had gone off injured, and I looked at the Australian team and it was the same starting fifteen. Not one of them had even had a physio come on or look for some deep heat or a bit of you know a rub down, (laughs) and the same (laughs) happened against New Zealand. I don't know. Is it that we're, we've a more attritional style, that we carry the ball into contact more, we don't look for well, space as much? That certainly was the argument during the World Cup ourselves, and Wales in particular seemed to just you know, try and bust people when we weren't strong enough yeah, to do we, so. That hasn't well, been we, we the we case. We've changed this our time. style yeah. recently. Yeah. I mean, there is a lot of busting as well. well, you, well you can, a lot of them are concussion related, unfortunately.
2: But you, you can see, just, just watching the game, you can see a clear difference in style between those two teams. I mean, Australia are far more skillful. I mean, the, their game flows. I mean, they're ge- they, they are carrying the ball into contact, but they're often kind of going down and then, and, you know, what offloading, that's the word. Mm. <laughs> but, I mean, the ball is, like, moving along the line, then maybe, whoa, back one way and then back again. Ireland don't do that. Ireland are just like... Yeah, we're, well, we're,
6: yeah. our change of style is quite recent, so maybe we're not seeing the effects on injury tolls yet, whereas traditionally we have tried to carry it into contact way more than the Southern Hemisphere did. So
0: possibly change of style almost certainly not Murph's theory of DNA being a little
5: from consistent. column A a little from column B I
0: think we've, we've all come to that conclusion already. if you missed our Paul O'Connell interview late last week he was here in the studio comparing underage swimming careers with Ken so have a listen to that one if you can that bastard friends and while you're in downloading mode why not get a load of today's Irish Times second cap is football pod
1: that's yeah <laughs> they have asked for that really Well
4: oh, you can laugh I'm a little bit of an idealist but having said that, I want to be like me. You don't know what you're talking about. What well, if you know I'd
6: like to stay alive.
3: All right, I'm going to need it here. I'd
4: say it to you, guys, and I'll say it what to what you
3: now. What
6: you I'm, I'm down
2: to field, and we'll
3: see them, me. What you're doing down here? You're shorty, man.
2: <laughs> well, then we talked a little bit about uh, Chelsea's victory over Tottenham, which is them back to the top of the Premier League. We talked also about the um, Barcelona's pretty poor form. Leading into um, next week's uh, game against Real Madrid, it looks as though they're coming to a bit of a crossroads at that team. And they're going to have to figure out which uh, which direction they're going to go next.
0: Katie Taylor got her professional career off to a winning start on Saturday night. She was pretty impressive and seems to have won a good few new fans in the process. We're joined in studio by uh, an older, well I should say a long-time
3: fan, Andy Lee. How are you? Yeah, Very well on, thanks. Were you impressed? Yeah, mildly impressed. Yeah. Um, I don't think it was any surprise the, w- the way the fight went but she went about it very well very professional and um what do you mean by that
0: very professional
3: she handled the occasion very well and I even like watching her warm up and walking into the arena watching her warm up she just seemed very cool very calm and very much focused and in control and not obviously she's fought in the Olymp- Olympic finals so but it's a whole different thing it's a whole new experience for fighting in a professional Ring and gone through the routine, so it would have been a whole new change. But she sh- seemed to didn't knock a stir out of her anyway, she seemed to handle it very well. Uh, the whole professional side of
5: this, uh, and that word to meaning you know the, the walk in music, the gear, all the rest of that. People were suggesting before the fight maybe that that's exactly the sort of thing that she'd be very uncomfortable dealing with. But do you think that that's kind of what she needs right now? You know, like th- this idea that it's It's not just enough that she continue to fight that she's actually moved out of her comfort zone and she's forced to, to sort of deal and handle with these things that she's never
3: had to deal with in in amateur boxing well I think the main the main the, the main like the main difference I saw in Katie in the fight and in the approach to the fight even in the press conferences and the media before was her expressions and her demeanor she was so much more upbeat and she looked refreshed and revived in the dressing room and she looked like a slick, slick like boxing machine, you know, just warming up going through the motions. I had met her at, at the Olympics um, in the stadium. It was about a week after and she was training then with Zoe Antia and I, I for one couldn't figure out why she would be in, even be in a gym, you know, I was thinking like she needs a rest, you know, and like where where she find the motivation to come to the gym and she, she even then she looked tired and spent, and I was asking, you know, what are your thoughts on what are you going to do? And and she, she was, she, she didn't really know what she was going to do. She was tossing, tossing about. There were people questioning, like everywhere I'm going, people are asking me, do you think she's done the right thing going pro? What do you think about Katie going pro? And I think the answer is, is, is there? It's reflected in in her and in in her response and her demeanor. Um, it shows that it's the right thing for her. She needed a new challenge. She needed to, you know, a new a new mountain to climb she's she's like there's nothing left for her in the amateur game to to to, to topple and she's she needs and she needed it she's talking about being a multiweight world
0: champion mm. she's talking about fighting ronda Rousey mm. <laughs> somehow if that if if that comes to pass this is again very un Katie taylor un un taylor and how we have always thought of her as somebody who you know is is Talks things down to an almost painful degree. Like it's, mm. it's so humble that 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 sometimes you you wonder does she does she embrace how good she is. So she, is, there's definitely that change in mindset. It seems. Yeah,
3: um, maybe you know, um, in, like she's getting a lot. Obviously, all of this going along, and all all the like she has Sky behind her Eddie Han. Mm. Um It's a massive machine. They will promote it. You know she'll be on every every big show she'll be on Sky Sports News she's on Sky Sports app you just switch in there she's on there nearly every day so and all of that is breeding confidence and she's got an American coach an American um, she's been training in America so maybe that's rubbing off on her as well you know the the confidence that's breeding and she has with professional boxing you do have to sell the fights promoting the fights is as much as the game as doing the fighting in the ring so maybe she's just taking that on board but I'm 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 delighted to see her full of confidence, and uh, it really suits her, you know. And uh, there's no need for her to be humble, you know. <laughs> if anyone uh, doesn't need to be humble, it's her. And it's all
0: it's obviously all hype at the moment. She's fought one fight mm. against a clearly outmatched opponent, so we'll wait and see what happens over the next twelve months. But did you see anything from a technical standpoint that looked different?
3: Um, not really. Uh, Lightning and hand speed, um, a real hunger to fight, and aggression, which was. Was great to see. She took her straight to that to to Kops, Had she um, you know had she, fell her out for a little while, it was only two minute round, six two minute rounds. She, Kopsinska probably could have went the distance, you know. Mm. But she jumped on her straight away, let her know that this was going to be a tough fight. I would, I would, uh, she will develop it in time, you know, with the right training. I'm um, sure she's getting it, and in time she will develop a little bit more um, power a little bit more hip turn in in her hooks in terms of body shots and a little bit more head movement. But it's, it's only a first fight. She's still very much fighting with the style that she had as an amateur because she's got a transition yet. And it'll take her a year, maybe two years. Took me about that time to to adapt to the different style.
0: Yeah, though, it's funny because they're talking
3: with her. They're talking about trying to get her a world title fight
0: in 2017 mm. in Ireland. This seems to be the plan to, to fight in the Joshua undercard, to fight over with on the Golovkin undercard in Madison Square Garden in March. I don't know, maybe one or two other fights, but really fast Yeah, well, Would you be a bit concerned about that plan?
3: No, I think the lack of depth in, in female professional boxing and Katie's already high-standard technical ability and, mm-hmm. and um, athleticism would warrant that she could fight for a world title probably in the next two or three fights and with a good chance of being successful. All she has to really do is build up her rounds of stamina and know what... Like, she's going to face... She's got very different opponents who are going to be able to stand up to her power um, and f- throw punches back, you know, in terms of they won't be overawed by her hand speed. So she's just she's just got to go through through the process of all the professionals have to do and uh, just to the professional game. and uh, Like I said, build up her rounds, build up her stamina. And she'll get that in the gym as well, as much as she'll get in the fights. Mm. I, I think it's all there for her, you know. You don't have any reservations about the tough
0: life that it, that a professional boxer has and the potential pitfalls we talked to Christina McMahon last week about all her issues but mm. just uh, the, the idea that you know fine she's got Eddie Hearn on her side that's great but he could come up against another promoter who's trying to pull things another way you can yeah. miss out on fights you can be cheated out of fights there's a, there's a, there's a lot in professional boxing well, that can go wrong
3: It's am no a bundle of joy today haven't I? No but it's no harder than what she's been up against for the last how many years as an amateur you know um, they say you know they when you're an amateur, the old guys are saying, don't turn pro, they use you up, you know, you'll be washed up before yeah. you know it. Their viper
0: vipers, their. But it's
3: exactly yeah. the same in, in the amateur game. And if not anything, more corrupt. At least now she has the power of match room behind her. She's on the A side of all the fights. She's a fa- No, she's on the favourable side. And um, everything's geared towards her being successful. You know, she's never going to be the opponent. She's always going to be the A side of any fight. So I... I'd, I'd, I think it's I think it's a dream match. I really like the way she's gone have gone about it. You know, she it wasn't put out in the papers. It wasn't a drawn-out process. She decided to turn pro. Uh, she signed with Brian Peters. They negotiated with the Matchroom, and it was done. And next thing you know, it was announced Carrie Taylor's turning pro. She said, this is her first fight, and now she in two weeks she'll have a second fight. So. It seems full steam ahead for Katie.
5: Yeah, and I, I think for a lot of say casual sports fans, not necessarily boxing aficionados, they, if she had turned pro after 2012, say a lot of people would have maybe have questioned that decision. Would it, you know, would it say, I, you know, I can't understand why you'd sort of let yourself in for that professional game. But I think seeing what we saw in Rio, mm. I think I think people are looking at it in a very different way now than even they would have done this time last year like why not at this stage you know yeah. and, and she had not she couldn't go back in there
3: after the, like I still still maintain she won the fight against the finished opponent in the Olympics and I, I know <laughs> no, I'm still over. I'm still saying it like um but we see what happened with Michael Conlon Joe Ward um could have easily won the fight had the referee been as as strict with the opponent as he was with Joe Ward in terms of deducting points um So it could have been a completely different Olympian but my my point is that I believe there was a black mark over the Irish Olympic boxing team that um, the things that happened in the run-up comments made by ex-official and um, the test of Stephen uh, O'Reilly, Michael O'Reilly and I just think it worked against the Irish team and one way or the other they were never going to win there so uh, there would have had to be knockouts to win I think. So she's better off where uh, she yeah. is. It's, it's, it's great for her. I, I'm, I'm 100% behind her, and I think it's great to see if... You know, it's a, it's a bigger platform. I know she got it in the Olympics. She couldn't have got asked for a bigger homecoming, but this is a, a different... She, she'll be experiencing a whole new level now. Oh, yeah. Well, particularly,
0: you know, if she's trying to build a base in the UK there's a ton of people who will have seen it for the first time. Mm. You know, there's, there's the usual kind of articles afterwards about the collating all the tweets from various different fighters who were impressed by what they saw. But that's, and from Eddie Hearn's point of view and from the point of view of, of her getting her promo, the promotional side of things, I suppose it's nice to have some Irish fans over there, but the big thing is getting Irish people to pay for the Sky box office. For example, mm. the next fight is the, the Joshua Undercard, and that's that's on box office. So uh, I don't, it seems like she's in good hands over there. Is that fair to say?
3: Yeah, uh, she like she'll only be over there to fight, you know. She'll be here. I I think, um, you know, part of them giving her the big push, Eddie Hearn. You know, he's really going to be. I I can see he's genuinely impressed by her as a person as well. Um, that it's to make a crossover. Everyone in Ireland knows who she is. She needs like they need to put her out there for for England and for America, the broader audience, and um, like. I think they're doing a very good job. It's just it remained to be seen, but I, I think sh- she can't go wrong as long as they take her time matching her the right way. Um, but I don't see there being much competition out there for her. as long as she develops and, and continues to develop as a fighter. You know, I think as an amateur, she had become a bit stagnant the last couple of years. Hmm. She also spoke about making the weight 60 kilos. She's been making it since she was 17. Um, as a pro, she gets the weight in the day before, so she has twenty over 24 hours to recover, which will also help her. So... I can't, everything I'm saying is positive, and that's how that's how, that's generally how I feel. Yeah, I
0: do. I, I do find it hilarious. That, you know, Eddie Eddie Hearn. He's obviously a great promoter. He talks about going into her dressing room beforehand. Apparently, this is a tradition that he goes in and wishes his fighters well. And she was just so stony and so serious and so professional. He just kind of turned on his heels and walked away. He's <laughs> definitely building. He knows how to hyper, but yeah. I suppose it is professional boxing, and that has to be done. What about yourself, Andy? Is there any chance we're going to see you on that? Golovkin card um, There's a chance,
3: yeah. I think it's later for March 28th. That was the date that was given to me. Um, uh, it's still up in the air. There's a good chance I could fight this guy, Jorge Sebastian Highland, who is the number one contender, and that would be an eliminator if Jacobs and Golovkin reach an agreement and decide to fight. Um, if, if they don't, Golovkin will be looking for an opponent, and I'm certainly willing to take the fight if it's offered to me. So I go back to England early in the new year. And uh, rededicate myself with Adam and get down to work. All right, <laughs> sounds good. Well, this is the best look, Andy. Pretty nice. Thanks. Thanks a bit. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, 9, 10, 11, 12,
4: 13, 14, 15, 16, 17 unanswered
3: punches, 15 of them really hurt. All the Irish, everyone in the house are hurting. I heard all your cheers. And he got me through that fight. My car was giving me a nightmare, and I found it really hard in there. But anyway, listen, I'm a midway fighter. I'm a champion now. I want to defend my belt in Ireland, and I'll fight the best in the world. Congratulations, Andy. On the Irish, get
4: <laughs> oh. right, in. left hand. Oh.
2: Winner by TKO
3: Victory, and now the WBO Middleweight Champion of the World, Irish Andy
0: Lee! I only have one issue, Murph, with Katie's debut. I think I agree with everything Andy said. I think she did look the part in the way she. Right from the, the shots you see of her hitting pads in the. Or warming up in the in the dressing room to the ring walk, to the performance in the ring, to the interviews. Thought she looked every inch the professional fighter, but I've got an issue. Go on. Thunderstruck, A C D C really? Well any better than that. It's
5: not even her choice. No? Uh, revealed in the Irish Times today, talking to Johnny Borderson. It was actually her brother that uh that chose the song. She didn't even know the song. <laughs> she was like, You you handle that. Uh and uh, okay, well, she seemed happy enough with it. I mean, I, like, she didn't slate her brother. <laughs>
0: you didn't see her looking up going, what the? This yeah. Sh-?
5: Now, by the same token, she didn't say, what an amazing choice he made. Yeah. Thank you very much for choosing that song. <laughs> I mean, I, I really think that, 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 as Andy was saying, Katie did everything absolutely professionally and all the rest. Mm-hmm. But I don't think that she's going to put a whole lot of thought into what her walk-in music is going to be at any stage in her career. That's what it, that, that's what it seems like to me. Just I don't think she's going to waste no. an awful lot of time thinking about song choices. Doesn't sound like
0: it. A reminder, if you're living in the US or Canada, you can now get your hands on the Second Captain Sports Annual Volume 2 free of postage and packaging until this Friday, 5pm. That's Friday, December 2nd, 5pm. Free postage and packaging to anywhere in the US or Canada in preparation for the arrival of US Murph. Can't wait for that coming up this weekend. Thanks very much, Ken.
2: Thank you. Em. Thanks,
0: Garen. Thanks, Ken. Thanks, Al. Thank all. you, Garen. Thanks so much for listening. We'll talk to you again soon. I didn't give you the email address earlier on. It's secondcaptains if you want to get in touch today. The <laughs> phone is out. that's the second time it's gone off. They never go home. They never go home.
3: They never go home. Those 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 boys.